Hello, I'm your host Alex Ireland. Welcome to the latest episode of the Pretty Polly podcast, the show that focuses on the history of the football shirt. I'm really delighted today to be joined by Alan, who some of you may know from his expertise on J-League and J-League shirts in particular. So, Alan, do you want to give us an introduction to your kind of background and how did you get into J-League shirts? Not particularly, no. <laughs> uh, well, um, I don't know. I arrived in Japan in 1988. I travelled the world quite a bit before that uh, as a DJ. And uh, every time I went to a place, I basically looked for a team to play for and a team to support. I got here and it was pre-J-League. In 1991, the J-League was formed and I was at the uh, Gamba Osaka birthday, I guess, zero birthday party, which was quite an event. And then uh, 1993 came along and there were all these amazing shirts, you know, compared to places I've been before, you know, the old boring stripes and hoops and one colours and, you know, the old Bristol Rover shirt with the uh, squares and whatever. But um, the J-League shirts were quite amazing. So I picked up a few right at the start and... Um, it's sort of got out of hand over the last 30 years. <laughs> I've got too many now. <laughs> a lot of people won't have delved into the market and it's not easy to get hold of J-League shirts. In contrast to the stack them high, get them out, approach the European teams, it's slightly different, isn't it? The way that they approach the retail of them. It's very different. I remember once uh, going back to England, uh, Inamoto Junichi had just joined Arsenal. And I went back and I thought, I'm going to get myself an Arsenal shirt with his name on the back since I'd known him since he was like 15 or something. And uh, went into the local, uh, uh, whatever it was, a uh, big chain, I guess. And I go in there and there's the shirt at 39.99 and, and and free name set immediately. And five minutes later, I had my Inamoto shirt. Yay! Well, in Japan, it's like uh, you, you go to a shop and they've got about six shirts from each of the big J1 teams and maybe a couple of J2 teams and... If you're really lucky, a J3 team. Um, and then, of course, loads of uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea. Oh, no, I meant big teams. Um, mm, sorry. Um, so um, it's quite interesting. The fact is that, um, you you know, I went to England. And literally, I mean, this the place I went, it was absolutely full of shirts. And they give free name set offers and discounts to get you in and all that kind of thing. Whereas in Japan... Uh, if you, you want a shirt, it's basically, um, it's a pre-order, usually. I mean, obviously, the, the, all teams do put out a bunch of shirts, and you go to the, the biggest soccer shops, and they have them, but they're very rarely anywhere else. They're at the team, the team shop, the team ground, the team mail order, um, the particular companies, Adidas, Puma, etc. they're on their websites too. And then the, the big shop in particular called Camo, K-A-M-O, these are like um, uh, a huge, uh, you know, I don't know what the, uh, the, the, the uh, I don't know what the chains are over there now. Uh, so the guy who used to own Wigan, right? What was it? <laughs> Mike Ashley's Sports Direct is yeah, uh, probably the brand those, name. Yeah, those big things. Yeah, but um, these days uh, it's it's basically really hard. Uh, for example, uh, a team called Shonan Belmare, I, I've never seen their shirts in the shops. I mean, I don't know. They they come out about two months before the season starts. And there's about a 10 or 12 day window where you can order these shirts in advance and they'll come two or three days before the season starts. You know, that is almost typical of J-League. Then some of the bigger teams, they have um, 
the shirts are there, but they're very they're very limited. And uh, what I find uh, with J League teams is that it's maximum profit uh, with minimum risk. So whereas you go and get your Arsenal in Manchester United and they make a, a million shirts in China and they flood the market and down the road you can get it for 1999. If you, you know it's a lost leader, it's at the front door and you come Japan, no discounts. Very rarely any sales at the end of the season because they're all gone. Um, and it's just they're just so hard to get, which you know, and I would say the price is high. It certainly was high back in 1993. That shirt that you're wearing and the shirt that I'm wearing. Not really. Um, that I've got on the side there. They're uh, they're eleven thousand yen across the board because they were all made by the same maker, Mizuno. Uh, that was the deal with the J League, just like I believe the uh, the MLS or whatever the American League is called these days are all done by Adidas at the moment, and they're all basically the same template. And at least the J League isn't the same template. But eleven thousand yen in nineteen ninety three, and now in two thousand twenty two, the prices are still 11,000 yen for some of the teams. Some of them are 12, 13, 14. And then there are the, the authentic versions that are coming out now, the player versions. And, but the uh, the prices incredibly stayed very similar over 30 years. Although... And sorry, just how much would 11,000 yen equate to in sterling or euro? Well, that's the key because, you know, the, the pound and the sterling, it goes up and down. And uh, yeah. when I first came, the, the, it was, to, let's say, 250 yen to a pound. Which, okay. was, uh, which was quite high. Um, so a thousand yen was four pounds. So 11,000 yen was 44 pounds, which at that time for me, if I remember, so most of the shirts in England were 39.99 or thereabouts. So they were very similar. And then the prices very much stayed the same, but now uh, a pound is uh, 150. You know, it's like uh, 40% more expensive. To buy these shirts but in japan it's the same price kind of um so that's price wise but i digress the the reason that um they're, they're so hard to get is because basically the market is flooded with all the big teams um, um but japan they basically they seem to they don't want to risk anything there's no risk involved it's, it's basically life in japan is it's it's the way it's done you know it's not just football shirts it's many things um the risk is minimal if possible so for example, uh, I remember at the start of the season, Kawasaki Frontale bought out their new 2022 shirt. It's their 26th anniversary. And in Japanese, um, you can say the words two and six as fu and ro. And furo means uh, bath uh, in Japanese. So Kawasaki Frontale took this uh, furo and they made a shirt that is basically based on the tiles of a bathroom. So if you look at their shirt now, they've got this blue thing and and, and they weigh one too. And they're tiles in the bathroom and that, that is their furo shirt. Um, a lot of that happens in Japan. You can take words and all sorts of things. It's quite interesting. But when they put it out, they said, this is it. And six weeks before the season, they did, they had the pre-order. And um, certainly the uh, any any size, there was 4XL, which is unusual. Japan has always been quite small sizes. And uh, Puma. So that's Kawasaki Frontale, Shimizu Post, Jubilo Iwata, Oita Trinita, um, Puma, and Cerezo Osaka recently, all they put out four XL shirts, which you know probably a, a good XL in England, perhaps a two XL if we're lucky, because the sizes are a, a little smaller. The new Japan shirt, uh, which is actually uh, right next to me here, I've got the away 
the long sleeves it's beautiful it's unbelievable yeah, yeah. I, I put a few up on the site and i've had to buy about 45 of these so far for people right and, uh, they're um adidas for the first time adidas are using uh xl and 2xl and 3xl <laughs> although in in japanese fashion the x 3xl <laughs> didn't last long at all i managed to get one myself and people are just desperate to buy it already so limited stock by this time and you can get it just before the season starts and then there might be a second run if you're lucky and that second run will come and if you order it now it'll come in six weeks it's it's you know they, they basically they, they they're quite proud of saying it make make to order they call it yeah basically you know they get 300 orders and then they they make them it's 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 amazing i mean there's so many people around the world as i'm sure you know would just love to get hold of these shirts and it's so hard to get them so they're, they're and as i say at the end of the season it's very rare i remember the end of last season it was and, and in fact it's still at the well, we're two thirds of the way, three quarters of the way through this season. There are some of last season's shirts about in some of the shops, but it's obviously because last year there were no fans allowed to go to the games, or very few, and uh, people didn't buy them because they, you know, literally, if you go to a, a game, I notice when I, if I ever go back to England and get to watch uh, Aston Villa or something in my hometown of Birmingham, it's incredible how literally almost no one is wearing the colours. Maybe the scarves that they put on it in the ground, but they put them on, they hide them away when and they go home if they got a shirt, maybe. In Japan, if you haven't got a shirt and a scarf and a fan and a and a tattoo, whatever, you, you don't belong. Everyone wears the shirt. And uh, the crowds are incredible. I mean they're they're at least forty-five to forty-eight percent on average female fans at each Japanese team, which is a, it's a great thing. You know, I go to England and see like all these bold tattooed men screaming at the ref and here it's like everybody's chanting around and joining drinking beers and eating pies and you know that's a bit like england i guess but uh, oh are you allowed to have alcohol on the ground now i don't know you know it depends very limited to very certain steps uh, below a certain <laughs> but, level unfortunately yeah, yeah. so it's a, it's a it's an experience and the, the the match the match day shirt or the game shirt is part of the experience but i don't know where all these people get the shirts from <laughs> right yeah yeah because yeah i mean literally it's it's really quite hard to get them. Certainly the smaller teams, the J3 teams, who probably can't afford to risk it anyway, as opposed to some team like Vissel Kobe, who are run by the guy who owns Rakuten, and he throws money in it left, right, and center, and pays Iniesta like 36 million pounds a year, or whatever it is, but um, they could afford it. But still, you know, I was there today, somebody wanted me to get them an XL, Vissel Kobe shirt in XL. Yeah, no problem, get one of those. They haven't even got an XL left. It's S, M, and L right now. So can I order another one? No, they're not making any more. Well, welcome to Japan, you know. So that's the reason, you know, the, the reason that Japanese shirts are so hard to get, especially overseas. And currently, uh, of course, the postage is restricted to many places, uh, or, or it's $50 by DHL, which adds a lot of money to an already expensive shirt. So... Um, it keeps the collectors excited because they're much harder. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and it keeps the prices up. And it's something that I, I, I found out many years ago, and I've mentioned it to people a few times now and again, but um, I had a friend who owned a, a football shirt shop, and most of his sales were overseas teams that he managed, and he'd buy them from 
Adidas Spain or whatever and in bulk and get discount prices and sell these discounts. And he um, he managed to get all of some J League shirts and he tried to sell them at a discount. He was sh- shut down. Wow. He was basically, he couldn't get any more J League shirts. When someone found out he was given a discount on current J League shirts, he couldn't get them anymore. So there's a, you know, there's a monopoly, basically. Wow. And and basically, it's the big chain called Camo that um, makes sure that there are no discounts on the shirts either. So even in Japan, unless you're really lucky at the end of the year, the, you know, it's, it's stuck. So when I went to get my Inamoto shirt and I got a discount and I, I got it immediately and I got the free name set because I ordered it before the start of the season, not here. Name sets are uh, about... 4,500 to 6,000, depending on the, the team, wow. which is, you know, at the moment, I don't know, it's 7, 4, and 20, that's about 28 to 40 pounds for the name set. Yeah, goodness. Uh, and no discounts ever. And also, the problem there is that they sell them in pre made sets. Right. Um, I've seen them literally making up the, the Premier League shirts. They get the guide, they stick the letters on, they facilitate them down. And I said, why can't you do that for J League shirts? Um, you know, I want my own name on it, or I want Furuhashi on it, but I want 11, not 19, or impossible. They're not allowed to do that. So many restrictions going on here to make sure that prices stay high, the uh, the teams make the maximum profits, and of course the teams also means Umbro, Adidas, etc. So it's it's uh, you know it's, it keeps me going. I've, I've Looking around here, I've got hundreds of shirts in the room behind me here, and uh, I really got to start paying the rent after sell some of these. You know, <laughs> I've got a Dropbox link. Can I give it to you? It's incredible, and a lot of very distinctive colorways that come out of the different J League teams. So, a lot of these teams sort of made from scratch, and was this by committee or drawing colors out of a hat, or do they have local connotations? Most of the color uh, schemes. Yeah, as a matter of fact, well, if you pick the, uh, the 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 original ten, for example. Nine, nine of the original ten were company teams. For example, Gamba Osaka was Panasonic. Uh, Urawa Reds was Mitsubishi Urawa Heavy Industries. Um, with, and uh, Kashiwa Reiso was Hitachi. Um, and some of these are still na- still sponsored and owned by that. But Panasonic is still on the front of Gamba shirts, for example. Uh, in fact, it's on the one that you're wearing now, I believe. Is it Panasonic? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a training shirt, but it has got it. Yes. Um, and, and in fact, uh, Urawa Reds is uh, is based on uh, Manchester United. The Reds, right. they even had a they had a, the same sponsors, uh, the same manufacturers at the start. They had a Sharp on their shirts at the start. Yeah. And the guy who actually decided to form and the first chairman made sure that they were called Mitsubishi Urawa Football Club, MUFC. I mean, right, okay. it's really ridiculous. But uh, you know, that's you know, foreign football was as highly liked. Kashima Antlers was a company called Sumitomo Metals. Uh, a lot of these teams, they had the colors already from long ago. Uh, Consadole Sapporo actually didn't get formed as Consadole Sapporo until about 97, I think. I'm not sure. They were uh, Toshiba. And before 1992, 91, Toshiba wore red and black shirts on their team. Uh, Shimizu S-Pulse is the only team that was actually formed for the J-League um, as opposed to being uh, molded and changed from a company team. And they were sort of basically uh, local people and local companies that got together and formed uh, a team. And the the orange shirt 
you know, we're not on video, so I've got one right behind me. That's uh, I'm sure you know the world, the world map shirt from the 1990s. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and it's incredible. They were sponsored by JAL, and they had a world map shirt, and you know, they they were offering themselves to the world. So it was good, and and um, basically the teams have, have grown since then. Interesting, if I if I may digress about shirts, is that uh, in 1993, um, all teams chose their own colours. I've actually got one right next to me. It's been turned into a mask, but Yokohama Flugels was a, a white shirt. Right. Um, they actually chose white as their home colour, and um, you know there was no connotations, and they basically wore white and. You know, these these days, any team will take any excuse to wear their away strip and their third strip and their fourth strip to to make a, a sales opportunity or whatever, right? But uh, Yokohama Flugels chose white. Um, these days, the uh, Japan uh, the Japan national team is uh, away is basically white, but sometimes it's a little grey. And, and all of the J League teams away is white, or at least a white base. And the reason is that Yokohama Flugels wearing white shirts in 1996, I believe it was, um, San Fretcher Hiroshima went to play against them and San Fretcher Hiroshima only took their away strip. So they had white shirts against white shirts. And San Fretcher actually borrowed shirts from the crowd and then they, <laughs> taped, they taped numbers on the back to make sure they had this. And that is that is one of the most sought after shirts that I would like in my collection. One of those shirts that was used in that game with the tape still on the back. And and after that season, Yokohama Flugels um, switched. The home was blue and the way was white. And then in 1999, they they ceased to be. They curled up their tootsies and joined the choir invisible. Um, and um, that's what the F in Yokohama F Marinos is. In case you didn't know that the. Uh, Flugels disbanded and um, yeah. the sponsors pulled out and they were sucked into the Yokohama organization. And Yokohama Reno's added an F so to, to keep the Flugels alive. Although Yokohama FC, now in Division 2 and about to come back to Division 1, um, uh, were formed by the uh, Flugels fans. So technically, F Marinos could probably drop the F now, but I'm not sure they want to. <laughs> or I'm not sure they'd be allowed to. I'm not sure. But... So, uh, hey, I, I digressed again, but, you know, sorry about that. <laughs> no, I think there's so much to talk about. So there's so yeah, much to yeah, very uh, different from the European market. One of the things you were saying about getting one of these match-worn shirts from a specific match, we see the clamour for kids wanting shirts at games and also within the collecting field. You know, you've got to be very smart to get some shirts off the pitch. Is there a way to easily get J-League shirts? How does that work? Is there a match-worn collecting scene? There's a couple of uh, very efficient shops that probably try to do that a lot um, and go out looking for collections and try to buy people's collections. But um, I think, uh, you know, the J-League is still quite young, you know, 30 years or so this year, next year. So um, I don't think there's a, a huge, shall we say, a, not a huge market yet, although there's a very good efficient auction sites uh, where people claim that there are match shirts and, uh, for example, Gamba and FC Tokyo, or FC Tokyo this year are New Balance, but Gamba Osaka is still Umbro. And uh, the Gamba Osaka shirts have a different code for match worn or prepared shirts. Uh, so they're the ones that you can tell are definitely match worn or match prepared. So they're probably uh, quite sought after because it's easy to prove. 
Um, I've got a few that were given to me by players, but you know, in fact, I've got a couple where I took pictures with the players as well. But um, I'm not going to sell those. And if I if I did, I'd probably you know, <laughs> someone would find out, and I, I don't want to do that. You know, it's not. But there yeah, are yeah. people that get out there, and you know, all sorts of profit making concerns. They'll try to get. Uh, I, I remember about four or five years ago, uh, all the uh, trading cards that were uh, being signed by. The fan, the players at the fans, and and they were all over auctions. And then suddenly, I think Gamba Osaka were the first, but then I think nearly all of the other teams like we're not signing cards anymore because basically they were just being sold on the market. <laughs> so um, there's a, there's a few restrictions on people trying to make a, a living out of it, shall we say? Uh, but there are some very good collectors, um, and I, I'm always I'm always on the on the auction sites picking up things that I don't know whether they were match worn or not, but the other guy says so. But, you know, it's not like there's a, I, I don't know of actually of any company in Japan that gives COAs like there are companies in, in England and America, whatever. That, and to be honest, some of the COAs I've seen are probably handmade by the guy down the local. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm not sure if that makes a difference. But um, there's, there's definitely a good scene, but I think overseas, uh, the prices, of course, rise too. So perhaps Japanese people or people who can get hold of Japanese shirts will will sell them overseas anyway. So I think the uh, the overseas market for Japanese shirts is probably bigger than the local market, and because of the rarity and the expense. Yeah. And thinking about the price of the items, obviously thinking about in England, you have the likes of the bruised banana that it's shirts that are just very sought after and their price goes up are there any shirts that really stand out in terms of when they come up on an auction site they tend to go for a lot more than others oh yes the uh the one i've just put away in, in an envelope uh the uh, jeff united sega uh, oh 19- goodness yeah yeah 93 and in fact 1992 just pre-j league they also came out um the nine so the jeff united sega sponsored with with sonic the hedgehog picture as well yeah, uh, are definitely uh, probably the highest sort. And uh, the interesting thing about uh, that shirt and, and all of those teams in 1992 to 96, I think it was, is that in 1993, Mizuno were, as I mentioned before, uh, were the team that got the contract. So every J-League team wore a Mizuno shirt. Mizuno is a Japanese company and still about. And uh, I think at the moment they... Uh, they are doing a, a two or three teams in the league still. In fact, Grampus, Nagoya Grampus in particular are Mizuno right now. And, uh, or, or Mizuno, as the overseas people probably call it. Mizuno. Mizuno. Yeah, yeah. So what's interesting is that all 10, and then the next year there were 11 teams, um, all of those shirts were Mizuno. But the teams had also got their own manufacturers from pre-J League and the year of J-League, got himself a fly. Um, mm-hmm. oh, for example, Gamba Osaka also had uh, Adidas shirts. Um, Jeff United had Asics shirts, another Japanese company. Um, Jubilo Iwata had uh, Puma, uh, S-Pulse had Puma. Um, but then the J-League came along and said, no, nope, you're wearing these. So the non-Mizuno 1993-94 shirts were not sold on the market. Right. So the ones that you do find are match-worn or match-prepared. And they were only worn in the Emperor's Cup. A bit like England, you have the uh, the league. Oh, now you've got the Premier League and the Championship, which I guess is separate. But you've got the league and the League Cup. But then the yeah. FA Cup and the Football Association is actually a separate entity from the Football League. 
It's the same in Japan. We have a, an FA Cup as well, actually, the second oldest tournament in the world, which was actually the first time they did it in 1929, was with a cup donated by the English FA. So, right. Uh, and they had a hundred, no, not 1929, it was 1921 because 1921 because last year was the 100th anniversary. Um, so we have an FA Cup run by the Japan FA. And of course, they run the national team. And so in 1993, four or five, uh, those teams that had, that was the only chance they could wear to wear their Adidas and their Puma and their etc. And there we go. Time out. Here's the wife. At this point, Alan had to attend to domestic duties, but we met up a couple of weeks later to finish the interview off. I wanted to ask Alan about the impact of superstar Hidetoshi Nakata, which gives me the perfect excuse to play this commentary from a classic game in 1998. When playing for Perugia against Juventus, Nakata scored a brace in a thrilling game which Juventus eventually won 4-3. I'm sure I heard the term doppietta, which is for a double in Italian. Would that be a term that you would think would come across? Or is that probably just one of the Italian specific commentators? Probably Italian specific. I mean, there's a lot of... uh borrowed words in Japanese now that are uh, used in football uh, a lot and nice keeper you know sugoi fantastic and they, they, just, they just start throwing in all these English words but the nice keeper is a really good one now and of course they okay. use the offside and hand the ball and save and punching but um, yeah the, the Japanese just love to throw in a few extra English words now and again I don't think they use any other, you know, surprisingly, because they do like to to misappropriate culture. But I don't, I don't hear of any uh, Italian or German or whatever Spanish words in in the commentaries. Although the Japanese uh, word for a defensive midfield player is a volante, right? Which okay. Is, uh, which is um, Portuguese for the steering wheel, uh, right? Which, which is they got it from Brazilian football, and the volante is the steering wheel of creation apparently in portuguese and the japanese use that all the time volanchi which is uh, basically your your well to me i I'd, I'd they use it as the uh, defensive midfield player usually but for me the steering wheel is the guy that guides the team and creates the chances now but so i'm not sure even if they're using that correctly but definitely a central midfield player is volanchi and that's one of the things that i remember asking about long long ago when i thought they were saying branchy branch and what branch of a tree is, is he like make is he throwing the leaves out there or branch and that turned out it was, it was volanti and uh so that was interesting yeah but um otherwise so, no i don't think i do too much so going on to the volanti of the late 90s the steering wheel of the japanese national team was nakata and and how much of an impact did he kind of make in terms of interest in the j league and japanese shirts and the, the whole culture I think uh, initially, of course, he was an amazing player, um, and any any 
claim that he was bought just to sell shirts was soon thrown out of the window. But uh, a lot of people that didn't appreciate him or didn't see him that much and didn't believe how good he was did say that. And let's face it, Perugia made the most of it because I believe, uh, I think I've got uh, the red home shirt, the blue away shirt, the the yellowy whitey third shirt, the uh, orangey blue fourth shirt. I think they, they bought out at least five shirts, uh, Perugia, in the first season he was there. Um, and the fact that they were um, what you'd call uh, imprinted in the material, it wasn't like you had to, to iron on the Nakata and the number yeah. seven on the back. They were ready made, as you as you can see behind you <laughs> and behind me too, coincidentally. Um, they, they obviously went for the market and um, it helped that they could sell the shirts but and then i guess that he 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 paved the way for professional japanese players to to start moving overseas and the fact that he could adjust and the fact that he he started speaking uh, italian and english quite reasonably well and very fast uh, helped a lot and that's not necessarily the case for many players even these days who go from japan or even those that come to japan but uh, the fact that uh, Perugia could sell shirts uh, also helped many clubs believe that they could they could at least try and bring a Japanese player over. And even if he wasn't that good, they could sell shirts. Um, and so, so some worked and some didn't. Abe, Yuki Abe moved from uh, Urawa Reds to Leicester City a few years after that. And uh, I remember him. Uh, the money was also much better in, the, in, in England than Japan. And even on the bench of uh, Leicester City, who were then in the second division, I think he was earning three or four times more than he would have in a successful team in, in Japan at that time. So um, the fact is, and of course, I, along with thousands of other Japanese people, do have a Abe Yuki 22 Leicester City shirt in the closet too. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he paved the way for good professional players to realize that they could make it and for clubs to realize that Japanese players could come and some other teams that just grabbed a Japanese player and hope they could could sell shirts or the the more clever ones among them uh, started and of course this was long before Twitter and social media um, but started uh, you know websites in certain languages or or at least putting out some press releases and, and, and even small books or magazines in Japanese um, and, and selling things to the Japanese market uh, whenever they could. Um, it's got a lot easier to, these days, of course, and, and, and we know Japanese players are. I mean, there are there are dozens of very famous ones overseas now and playing their trade uh, all the way down to the, you know, the seventh division in Moldova, for example. So um, Nakata was, was the trailblazer. I have a really, a really cool story from Japan here. There's a, there's a guy called Ben Mabley, who's a guy from Somerset, England, I met him probably I don't know 20 years ago in the in the in the crowd at Gamba, Gamba Osaka, the only the only other white guy in town kind of thing, um, and he was there, and um, I were to cut a long story short, uh, he he got into football uh, in Japan, uh, commentating. Um, I'm happy to say I sort of helped that along the way, mainly because I I was uh, not good enough, so I was pushing him for certain things. And uh, now he's uh, he's on uh, match, of, match of the day, Japanese style. Uh, he commentates in Japanese on the Premier League. He is the non-Japanese expert on the Premier League. And But whenever he's on TV, and he's, he's been on TV uh, for probably seven, eight, nine years now, and he always manages to mention Taunton Town, uh, his <laughs> local football team. 
he wears their shirts. He started wearing their shirts and, you know, polo shirts. And eventually, about three years ago, this program went over with him and visited Taunton Town and showed some of their highlights. And now there are various Taunton Town supporters clubs in Japan. And uh, recently, Ben has started selling his own brand of beer made with uh, with uh, apparently Taunton soil or something. And uh, they're also Taunton Town is selling out of their shirts in Japan. So, so you know, there's definitely room for for anything as long as it's it's done properly. Uh, the fact that Taunton Town, what are they probably seventh tier? Uh, yeah, I would think uh, so. Yeah. Uh, um, and the fact is that just one, just because of one person's interest and enthusiasm about that team, and of course the fact that he was on television and he's able to do that, um, is amazing. But um, you know, so when you consider Shinji Kagawa went to Borussia Dortmund, Manchester United, and and won things and played extremely well, um, so there are people literally all over all over Japan wearing you know their Kagawa shirts to this day. Um, and if you go into the local camo soccer shop, uh, you know, the local, uh, I don't know, you have JD Sports or whatever in England, uh, the local chain uh, in Japan, it's definitely easy to see that there are more Manchester United and Borussia Dortmund and other famous teams that these mega players have played for. Minamino Liverpool shirts and now it's Minamino Monaco. I mean, whichever player is playing overseas, if possible, people want people want a piece of that. And it's it's good to see. So yeah, it definitely works. And there are some there are some very good things happening because Japanese players are overseas. You have to start a shirt import business as well. Get that uh, lucrative Taunton Town contract to sign up. Well, I can't because Ben's got that. Obviously, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but the, I'm doing the export business, which helps. You know, as you've probably seen. I mean, I think absolutely. I've, I think I've sent fifty or sixty the Japan away long sleeve authentics. It's a great way to end. Thanks so much for giving us that insight, Alan. It's clearly a very different kind of market and culture from a lot of the Western European leagues and definitely a lot of things to interest football shirt fans. So you do quite a lot of different things around shirts, around football. How can people get in contact with you, see what you're doing? Well, uh, my my main account on uh, on Twitter and and uh, what started it all off when, whenever the internet began uh, was, was jsoccer.com. Please do check out jsoccer.com. In fact, jsoccer.com has a, a link for every single J-League team, which shows every single shirt they've ever worn. I'm hoping it'll be a, an everlasting Bible of the J-League. So please do check that out. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Soccer Magazine on Twitter, but um, in this particular case, I should be wearing my at J-League shirts on Twitter. So thanks very much. I would really recommend following Alan's magazine and shirts accounts. And again, thanks for listening. This has been the latest episode of the Pretty Polly podcast. A reminder, you can follow us at Pretty Polly Book on Twitter and join the conversation using the hashtag Pretty Polly Pod. Many thanks and goodbye.